Hi, I'm Lauren Yoshiko. And this is Menle Golakai Akri, and welcome to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. I do love cannabis, and I actually really like the smell of cannabis, too. Do you? I do. It it has one of those smells that feel... If if there is a feeling associated with it, it, it feels very funky and kind of floral and reminiscent kind of all at the same time. What about you, Lauren? Do you like it? Yes, I I typically go for those funky ones as well. Like I love the smell of, of diesel-y like citrusy flower, but I actually like the experience of something that I know is going to, if it smells weird and like kind of wet and mossy and I I really don't know how to describe the smell of kush have you ever been able to put words to that scent uh kush is like a warm cozy husky blanket of marshmallow oh my god girl that is so (laughs) poetic but that does not that does not describe a smell that is a vibe I tried Lauren (laughs) What is it? Peppery? I don't know. I, I always have trouble with that. Today, I'm excited because somebody who is a lot more qualified than me is going to be talking with us about smell. I'm going to be with Olivia uh, Jesler, who is the founder of Future of Smell, and she is all about enhancing people's lives through scent and smell-based tech, which actually means stuff like doing an immersive scent install for the World Economic Forum and winning a Unilever Fragrance Tech Award for her work researching olfactory and sensory experiences when it comes to human and computer interaction. And Jesler has worked in Sao Paulo, New York, Berlin, London, but is going to be talking to us today about smell and weed and all the weird reactions controlled or otherwise in between. Let's get into it. Can't wait. Hi, I'm Olivia Jesler, and I'm founder of Future of Smell. I just want to start out by seeing if how you would describe the smell of weed, because as a weed writer, I have had to describe different strains so many different ways, and you'd be surprised at how quickly that uh, list of vocabulary runs out when you are not a trained connoisseur of food and beverage, and you're trying to describe things like kush scent. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I'm not actually a trained nose, as they call them, but I've worked with a lot of these noses um, who are the perfumers. But I would describe weed, like in general, I'd say it's very woody, aromatic, slightly herby and piney, and then sometimes like citrusly, like lemony, citrusy, lemony, really depending on the variety. And some really even have, some even really have a more floral component to them. Um, there's also like a sagey, peppery cypress element, I think. Ooh, cypress. That's a new element. I like that. And, I, and sometimes when it's a burning, it could almost smell leathery, I think. I can definitely see that as well because there's like a sweetness. Yeah, there's like a funky sweetness that 
I think about when I think of like really like, yeah, the cushy OG Kush and Girl Scout cookies. You know, we we always hear and say that we are such visual creatures. But in your experience, it sounds like the sense of smell uh, often has a lot more power than the sense of sight. Well, our sense of smell is rooted in the most primal part of our brain for survival purposes. Uh, What's interesting is that it's the only sense that is directly and immediately relayed to the amygdala where emotion, associative learning, and memory is processed. So none of our other senses have this direct and intimate connection to this area of the brain. I was also thinking what could be interesting is that uh, there's also a sensory hierarchy that influences the way we rank the importance of our senses. And so this was established in the time of the ancient Greeks. This isn't actually biological. It is, it is based on what Plato and Aristotle considered the senses that, there were, most, that were most rational um, to measure and understand the world. So whereas our senses of touch, taste, and smell were deemed closer to our animalistic, less rational pasts, the sense of sight and hearing were the ones that um, they considered the most rational. Um, so this, this way of thinking about our senses has permeated uh, the way we think about our senses today and the importance that we give our senses. Just another random, random fact I'm going to give you, uh, that it, this part of the brain is also called the limbic system, and it's considered the oldest part of our brain. So our chemical senses, meaning the ones of taste and smell, were essentially the first senses to develop. So the sense of taste and smell was actually just one sense. It was the way of perceiving chemicals. And this is how single-cell organisms were able to understand their environments, find food, and essentially reproduce. So this is survival um, and reproduction. Oh, my God. So our sense of smell was earlier than our other senses developing because it had to do with straight-up survival and evolution. And I'm assuming that proximity is where we sort of get that that oral legend of of how our strongest memories are scent memories, the the ones that go furthest back. People, I've heard people say that that first memory you'll have is is often more of a scent memory than than visual. Is that the true in your experience? What's interesting is it's our sense of smell is linked to memory and emotion and learning. And so that, and this is for survival, so that if we eat a food that is poisonous, we will definitely remember what that smelled like, and we will never, ever have it again. So this is for survival purposes. Well, shoot, I mean, over the past year, I think we've seen an even higher spike in people just wanting to monetize and kind of be a part of this exciting ca- cannabis place, this, this whole new world of legal weed in the States and el- elsewhere. People, you see these weed smelling candles and like the Mr. Green fragrance that is uh, hippie shit. And a lot of people are using cannabis smell in unique and often really artful ways to make a product that is about weed and meant to be used by people who like weed but doesn't get you high at all. It's 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 interesting. Do you see other stimulants used like that? I mean, coffee is such a rich aroma. Like, I think I'd like the smell of coffee whether or not I ever enjoyed caffeine. How do you compare cannabis-scented candles to like a whiskey-scented candle? 
So I feel like the whiskey, you kind of smell the woods and the rich, sweet, caramelly, perhaps, elements of it that have an air of sophistication in my mind. And I don't really have that association with weed. Should I be saying this? This is wrong. No, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't smelled a really good weed candle or a really good weed fragrance. Maybe I have smelled one good weed fragrance in terms of like it actually smelling like the actual substance. You know what I mean? They usually just smell random, like green stuff, and then it says Kush on it. <laughs> Obviously, I, I think about this a lot. And since we've had so such like a cultural shift with all of a sudden people want weed candles on their shelves where that would that would really traditionally just be a joke gift i can kind of forget how the rest of the world still perceives this plant my mind just assumes that everybody is cool with it and then i hear comments that are like i wish i didn't have to smell weed when i walk around this neighborhood or i wish i i wish i was i had the right to be able to bring my kid down to this park and not worry about smelling weed. And when I hear those comments, it's sort of shocking because you'd think we've legalized it. And yet intelligent people can have this really knee-jerk reaction to smelling weed. And, and even if they're okay with the act of smoking it, the act of smelling it feels like something they shouldn't be experiencing in public. And it feels enough that it should be illegal like it's a it's something that shouldn't be allowed and I'm curious like where else are smells forbidden like that or carry such a negative association that you are scared and immediately looking around for flashing red and blue lights when you smell it going back to smells being the our initial association to them and that being hard to reprogram I think this has something to do with with that and Maybe it will take a generation or so to actually be able to reprogram our associations to weed unless we really go into some sort of Pavlovian type of reprogramming program for a city where we're really exposing people to elements of the weed smell and gradually transforming it into something else so that people have different associations with weed or they like relearn it. But that sounds a little bit very brave new world. But it's just a thought, you know, like it could be possible to on a mass scale reprogram. But in terms of smells and illegal, this is, there aren't like, especially of botanicals, of course, like there's, you know, like this smell of alcohol in people's breath, like that's a bit, it's not illegal, but there is a stigma tied to that, um, which also then brings me to like just the smell of body odor, urine, you know, you kind of like, they, there's something wrong with the person, um, you know, they need to be taken care of. But then there's also this, um, I think the deodorizing element. So church as, and smells of incense were always very closely tied to the church and then, and religion all over the world. And then with the Puritans coming to the U.S., this was really, they stripped the church of the odors to become, you know, something more pure, closer to God without smells and frivolousness, you know. So there's something about the purity, I think, in the U.S. that is just an interesting, interesting thought. I know that's another question, but 
it somehow ties in here. Yes, it absolutely does. I did not realize that, but you're right. It should be associated. I, I think about old churches and a priest of any doctrine moving around the little metal container with with incense. And I associate going to my great-grandpa, like the only Buddhist funeral I'd ever seen was when my great-grandpa died and my family decided to go full traditional. And, and I remember just smoke. That's all I remember. I was like four years old and, and I hadn't thought about that till now, honestly, but there was a ton of incense being burned. And I, I think that probably did leave a more like holy or spiritual, just special association with with incense. And, and then, of course, now I associate it with like my cousin's basement rooms of Nag Champa smell in uh, wherever they like when they were like living in our great grandma's basement. But uh, there's a perfect example of how a smell took on a sort of knee jerk reaction of like, no, that's not good. That's not pure. But also our, our society has become so deodorized in general, right? So everything, we're surrounded by man-made objects and none of it naturally has a smell because it's actually man-made. So anything that's alive would have a smell and the smell that would change through time, that's what makes it like a, a, alive and natural. Yeah, there it is. There's something about that. The fact that it is just a plant and that a plant can be interpreted so differently. And yeah, everything you just said, the fact that for things to be natural, A, they're going to have a smell and it's not going to be consistent. It will vary instance to instance and over time. And that is the thing that we are intentionally trying to cover up in a man-made way of our, so everything is, is just this like fear of nature, this like sub subliminal fear of nature. That's that is wild. Yeah, we're repressing everything, but now we're trying to put the sense back in, you know, sense back into things just to feel something, anything, you know, like all this, this whole vaping trend is full of flavors. We're putting flavors in our drinks. I mean, all our processed foods are also hyper flavored um, because natural things now don't actually have enough flavor for us anymore. I think that's interesting. <laughs> Talk to me a little more about that, about the work that you've done and some of the projects where you're seeing how we're using our own science and technological capabilities to like manufacture a different kind of natural impression to man-made things. So I see uh, and wor have worked a lot in products, product development. So we have natural associations that you know, the smell of bleach is actually going to clean something. And if it if that cleaning product does not have that smell, we actually don't think it works, even though it does. Um, but this was based on, you know, the, the chemicals that were used generations ago, and they were so strong, but that's still imprinted in our mind that that's the that is what it needs to smell like to work. And then we also have, a, you know, similar with body products, um, hair especially. I worked a lot on hair products, hair shampoos. And so color-treated hair, need a shampoo for color-treated hair has to smell a certain way versus a purifying shampoo versus a moisturizing shampoo. Like we have connotations of what it should smell like. And if it doesn't smell like that, we don't actually think it works. So there's this linkage of efficacy with smell that I think is pretty, pretty big. Like we'll, we'll just 
naturally think, oh, this shampoo is not working because the smell is not what we think it should smell like. Wow. I know. Now I'm just like thinking about my entire cleaning cabinet and questioning everything I've ever bought. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But there's also um, environments. So if the smell, if we put a smell in an environment and it's actually not in sync with the rest of the environment, like in terms of the visuals and and the sounds, um, we will notice the smell. We'll be like, oh, okay, what's that? But if it all naturally works and fits together, we don't actually notice the smell. It just becomes an enhanced experience that we evaluate as of, of having higher quality. So we'll be like, oh, wow, this is such a beautiful experience. And we won't actually know. It's because of the lighting, the smell, the sound. The, we won't be aware, especially not the smell, because biologically, we're not supposed to notice the smell if it if it's comfortable, if it feels good. We're, we're biologically programmed to notice a smell when it's out of sync with our expectations. That's when it becomes, that's a warning signal. That's like, oh my God, this is poisonous. Oh my God, there's a danger. Otherwise, smell is really a support sense. Like it won't be on the forefront of your mind. Let's be honest, we've all had that nightmare cannabis experience, the one where you can't tell where your body ends and the couch begins. And we've all been at that party when the wave hits and all of a sudden you can't remember what you said or if you said anything at all, did you? But those experiences are the product of a different era. Today, the cannabis offering is something different, something that isn't scary, something that doesn't have to be so damn unpredictable. In fact, it can be something that doesn't even need to be about getting high in the first place. That's where Miss Grass comes in. Miss Grass is on a mission to make cannabis accessible to everybody, to shine a light on the magic of the plant and to help you get good at weed once and for all. Miss Grass vets and curates the best products, ones that are clean, safe, and effective. It's your one-stop, federally legal cannabis shop, complete with all the education you could ever need. It's weed made simple. Visit MissGrass.com to learn more. Welcome to the high road. There is a company who is working on developing odorless weed. But to me, I mean, the smell is like more than half of the experience. It's it's how you it, if you aren't a connoisseur, if you aren't a, a grower or a, a person who's been around weed your whole life, the best way for you to decide whether or not you want to try this one or that one is opening up the jar and taking a whiff because are it'll be able to tell you like okay that that makes me excited or that kind of smells like mold or that kind of smells like grass I, that doesn't smell good at all and it, i think it's the best way for someone who is a rookie to distinguish good from bad weed just whether or not there is fragrance or not says a lot about the flower and how it was stored and cured but also as i smoke more different kinds of varietals and i'm trying to understand which ones were the ones that gave me the effects I wanted, which ones were that perfect balance of uplifting and happy and 
which ones got me way too stoned to work that I want to avoid. Like smells are the only consistent way because for for weed, all of the names are so inconsistent. And growers can kind of call their flower whatever they want. The classification and, and the way we, the nomenclature system is still in its infancy, if at all, in creation, if it exists at all. It's, it's really, really not standardized. So you may think you love Blue Dream, but the thing that you smoked was actually something very different and a cross of X and Z. And you are going to have an easier time finding something similar to that based on remembering that smell, remembering those, whether you like citrus stuff or you like that really diesel-y like gasoline hint, like those are things you will more easily be able to find. And it's more trustworthy, your own sense of smell than uh, some guy claiming he's got the original chem dog, whatever, 91. (laughs) That's so, I had no idea. And so would you say that like the citrusy element will have that same effect across varieties. So that goes into that that terpene realm. So hopefully, yes, we think yes. I mean, a lot of this is also being figured out. But yeah, in theory, there's it's going to contain some of the same terpenes that in theory interact in this similar way with the THC and other cannabinoids and other chemical compounds in the plant. So that, yeah, when you have a familiar aroma profile, you have reason to believe that strain will have similar effects to a totally different cultivar that has similar fragrance notes in it. Wow. This is a whole like business opportunity right there, like how to classify them, organize them, even even using a standardized like naming system. It doesn't have to be the name that, you know, the consumer facing name. It can be the name that, you know, you use um, in the back somehow. Um, but also you could use the electronic nose, like a, a handheld device that's able to, you know, you can, using machine learning, it would be able to understand and read uh, all these different elements in the weed. So like a lot of people don't really pay attention to what they're smelling. I know it's it's a huge part of the experience, but the way we are today in this society, we don't really pay attention. We're not aware of what we're smelling. So there could be a great use case for these sorts of electronic, handheld electronic noses to just scan and help people identify what kind of effects they're looking for. I mean, for, and especially in an industry, when you think about it, like, okay, take the the fragrance realm, for example, there are master perfumers and houses that are how many dozens, hundreds of years old. Like it is a an art, right? It's a it's an art that's been hallowed and protected and the uh people take training very seriously and certification very seriously and none of that has existed in an official form for cannabis ever. So all of us that are assessing these things like me for example, I mean, I am not qualified as a nose. I am by no means a professional nose. So it's not only there's so much work to be done, but no one's done any of the preliminary work. There is like, it's interesting hearing you talk about an electronic nose because there is no foundation to go off of. Like all of us are looking at wine charts, cigar charts, to even just try to wrap our heads around how to begin to talk about the different smells you find in weed. 
Is there anything else you'd like to talk about as far as like what Future of Smell is up to and the interesting ways you are sort of you're you don't even have to exclusively think about humans anymore. You're looking at humans and computers and olfactory relationships. For sure. So and just designing with all the senses. So there's a lot of that happening. People are realizing that, you know, with technology becoming ubiquitous, we've become sense deprived. And also with all the technology going into the background. So like if we don't see screens or logos, how do people, how do brands still talk to you? So this is one of the main things that I'm looking into right now. You know, it's how to create sensory branding um, involving our invisible senses of touch, taste, and smell. I They opened the first Muji in Portland this year, and the aromatherapy section up front has been a, a big hit in town, and I feel like I can smell Muji-specific aromas in certain certain shops and boutiques, and I feel like that is a, already putting that into perspective in a different way away from like scented candles and what you touched on of like making scent go with the environment not clash with the environment just because like I love vanilla so I'll buy vanilla everything and I want vanilla candles in every single room I walk into I like that we're sort of finding a more natural natural way maybe to return to our artificial sense (laughs) Right. That's so funny. But at least we're able to now learn about essential oils. I think that that's definitely a big trend. And not just that, understanding the properties of these oils and how to then use them for what purposes. So that I think is very interesting, really empowering the people to, you know, use different use different things in their lives to make them feel better. So whatever works is cool. Out of curiosity... What are some of your favorite smells, manufactured or otherwise? Oh, mine is the smell of jasmine. So the jasmine flowers and of the Chinese magnolia flower. Because I spent a lot of time in Thailand growing up. So all these white flowers and the frangipani flower. I used to just play with the flowers and make jewelry or fall asleep next to them. So these are the, the flowers and smells that I truly love. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, if I grew up with frangipani next to me, I would absolutely think of that as well. You've got like sweet childhood associations. Although I suppose being an Oregon kid, I'm lucky. I have like rich pine forest and crunchy pine cone smells of like what I think of as being young. Think of like clean air. Yeah, that's beautiful. And green. And now with the fall, the leaves, like these are all very beautiful natural smells that you don't really smell um, at other times of the year or in other places in the world. I mean, it depends, but it's because I was living in Brazil for some time and we didn't have the fall. So I, I get so excited to just smell the leaves. So is there anywhere that people can find you online to learn more and maybe find their future of smell? <laughs> well, I think they can follow me on Instagram. That's kind of where I post the most instagram at future of smell perfect i'm definitely going to take a look i'm excited to see what you're up to and how you're going to help enrich these different connections between people and our senses it's time to get used to nature again i think (laughs) 
Definitely. And it'll make us feel better, too. Oh, and uh, let's talk more about weed smells again. This is awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me. Of course. Thank you, guys. This episode was produced by Anya Charbonneau. Our music is by Giselle Garcia. And our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Visit Broccoli online at broccolimag.com and on our Instagram at broccoli underscore mag. Thank you so much for listening to the show.